It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to another bumper edition of Reliving the War. We're going back to back with WWF pay-per-views from 1997. We are reliving the Monday Night Wars. It is exactly what it says on the tin. My name is Nim Sazor, joined as always by my co-host and tag team partner, Simon Tackler. Simon, we've had a hell of a fill of classic 1997's WWF um, pay-per-views. We, we're coming off the back of one night only in the UK, and make sure you listen to that if you haven't already. This provides a great companion piece because Shawn Michaels has officially become the most dastardly hated man in the World Wrestling Federation at the moment. Yeah, what a time for Shawn Michaels and the WWE. 1997 in this era, we got three pay-per-views in the span of a month between Ground Zero, One Night Only, and Bad Blood, and so much happens in such a short period. It's really, really good. Between all the big moments, you forget that it all happened this quickly as well. Between the first meeting of The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels beating the British Bulldog, forming DX, and then Hell in a Cell. It all happens really quickly. Not only that, but uh, it's, it's only at the end of this paper where Vince is like, we'll see you at Survivor Series that you sort of do the <laughs> yeah, mental math. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, geez, this is, a, this is a mega couple of months. You've often sort of said this on the show uh, in previous episodes, like, you know, we there's a real purple patch where it comes to the, the WWF run of pay-per-views, like the start of the end, we, we were just trying to find where it sort of happens. And you are right. Once it gets to Canadian Stampede, the WWF just marches forward. And to an extent, so does WCW. And it just doesn't look back. And this pay-per-view, it is, it's, it's a special in your house, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. This is one of those big ones that, you know, there might be some you don't remember, you know, Beware of Dog or Revenge of the Undertaker. But if you say bad blood, you know which in your house that is. It is this one. It's a big one. One of the greatest matches of all time, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, 1997 for the WWE. At the start, you can say, oh, they're coming off 96. There were some really good matches. They don't have the momentum, though. It's all in WCW's favor in terms of big box office attractions. By the end of 97, WWE has absolutely caught up at this point. It's crazy. In fact, if you go back and listen to our Royal Rumble 1997 uh, watch along and you just look at some of the names that are in there, Vader, um, like Vader, HBK, all the, all the big names that you hear in the last couple of months are still there, but they're just not doing much. They haven't quite formed their characters. Brett is still sort of the main guy, whereas by the time we get to Bad Blood here in October, things have really stepped up a notch. But let's get straight into the pay-per-view because I'm going to quickly preface this by saying that Bad Blood is one of my fond... Um, I love this pay-per-view because I own it on VHS, but I don't own it 
like a legitimate Coliseum video. It was like a dubbed version. So this is one of the first times that I'm seeing it in crystal clear sort of quality without the weird tracking that you get from generations old dubbed onto another tape sort of video clip. And uh, it's, it's, it's just as vivid as I remember as a kid. But um, we start off with the old WWF VO guy. Now, is it just me? Am I hearing things or is he back? Yeah, it feels like for some he wasn't doing them. They were getting Todd Pettingill to do a lot. But then it felt like the past few months we were noticing that um, they were relying on either JR or Vince to do them or Michael, Michael Cole. Cole. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for this one, they were like, get Jim Fagan again. We need the big guns for this one. <laughs> for Shawn Michaels in The Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, yeah. And, and I think he- it was better for it. it gave it some gravity. Oh, it certainly did. It really did a good job of selling uh, just how much of a first off how much of a douche Shawn michael has become and how he's really made the undertaker's life hell for the past couple of months and it really sells the hell in a cell match i mean for a match that never exists like right now like we we're a couple of we're a week removed from um crown jewel where we had edge versus seth rollins in a hell in a cell match and because it was a hell in a cell we kind of dumbed down to a little bit now aren't we it's just like oh yeah that should be a good match. Whereas yeah. this, it truly was the unknown. It really was. And, you know, I, I mentioned it in the one night only um, episode. I never saw this pay-per-view in the month that it happened or even months later. My video store didn't have it. So I mm. saw it like a couple of years later for the first time in full, you know, on an old dubbed video like you yeah. did. So to not know what a, oh, what's a Hell in a Cell match, we don't really have that anymore. And Honestly, when new matches have been tried, some of them haven't hit. What was the last great one to stick? Money in the Bank? Money in the Bank, yeah. And yeah. Um, prior to that, so Money in the Bank was like, what, 2005? 2005, yeah, 2005. Elimination yeah. Chamber in 02. But they're the 02. two big ones that have been consistently good. But so many have come and gone. They don't stick mm. around like Hal and yeah. Sal. Yeah, like uh, no matter how much you try, like King of the Mountain just doesn't quite have the same sort of... Uh, <laughs> or the Punjabi <laughs> prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sort of have the same tenure that Hell in a Cell has. We start off Hell, um, Bad Blood, actually, on a fairly somber note because it's announced that Brian Pillman uh, passed away this afternoon. So this is an incredible way to start off a pay for you. And this sort of lends to my theory. What Now, I haven't actually looked this one up, so because uh, I sort of suggested to you that this wasn't released on home video back in the day. And this is one of the reasons that I think it was because there's constant updates about what happened with Brian Pillman. And first off, it's a really strange way to start off a pay for you, but it was a really necessary thing to do since Pillman was actually on the card and was in a feud. And like you said, this he was as of the afternoon, so the morning of the pay-per-view, he was still alive and unfortunately uh, passed uh, this after- the afternoon before the pay-per-view. Yeah, um, it's a really awkward opening. So Vince McMahon delivers the news and he's got tears in his eyes. Like Vince McMahon mm. is kind of shaken doing this. But then they go from that and there's literally a slight pause. And then Jim Ross just goes, oh, and Ken Shamrock is injured because he was uh, attacked. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't connect those things because well, what's real and what isn't, one's very real. Don't do that. Yeah. Oh, the Brian Pillman segments, which we'll get to later on, um, it really does 
sort of shake your foundation of like and and because the suspension of disbelief is really shattered as they go to those very real moments but uh we get to our first match which is the nation of domination versus the legion of doom uh shamrock was meant to be in this match um and is this the d'lo brown pay-per-view debut in the wwf in terms of an official match i believe so we've seen him hang around the nation back when he was just a bodyguard um I'm pretty sure Ahmed hit him with the Pearl River plunge at WrestleMania, which was impressive because that's when D'Lo was huge. D'Lo looks in amazing shape compared to when he was just wearing a suit in 96. Mm. Uh, The crowd is deadly against the rock here. This is uh, like, aside from the LOD, which always get a monster pop, the crowd is just absolutely against the rock. Rocky sucks chance, make, you know, just the minute he steps into the ring, it is just Rocky sucks. He has all the heat in the nation of domination here. And did you find it interesting too? We mentioned how JR has constantly been like delving back into history a little bit. JR name drops at the LOD were AWA tag team champions. Yeah. He was going for like the real history here. And there, there was, they sort of tie that in later too, where this show sort of pays tribute to the past, which the WWE don't normally do. So you're right. Anytime JR mentions, an old promotion like the AWA, it does stick out. And even speaking of that, they mentioned that The Rock is, you know, third generation wrestler. Vince McMahon at one point calls him Rocky Johnson. I guess he was just having a flashback. (laughs) Which is pretty simple to do. But yeah, look, it's a fairly, it's a, if it wasn't for the immense heat that The Rock had, this match would have no heat. It might as well have been LOD versus some jobbers too. But um, Farouk, you forget just how much of a role Farouk plays in 1997 that's just so forgettable now but Farouk does a run in and wax LED which leads to a, a double team by the nation and the rock bottom is used and it doesn't have a name it doesn't have a name and because the crowd isn't familiar with it it also doesn't have a reaction the weird yeah. thing is there's a lot of he- like a lot of great reactions in this match like LOD we can't I think feel like we've said it 10 times already where we're like yeah, this is probably the last good LOD match. And then they have mm. another good showing. You know, yeah. for a two-on-three handicap match, it's Karma, it's D'Lo, who aren't, you know, necessarily the best at this point. The Rock is just newly heel. Man, mm-hmm. LOD get a good match out of these three guys, but the ending is just so flat because it's like, what move is that? And why is The Rock winning? Like the crowd doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, thank heavens that um, they steered into the rocky suck sort of thing and put him in the nation because he was just absolutely floundering there but uh look a, a solid little opener if you like you sort of said if it wasn't for lod they managed to pull a rabbit out of the hat here and get a good match out of these guys so um it's a solid way to, to kick off the paper you gets gets the crowd hot starting in with lod now you had a very interesting uh in our last edition of reliving the war you had a pretty interesting theory about sunny when she had to do uh ring announcing but um we'll get to that a little bit later because sunny and doc hendrix uh, in the superstar line. And all I can say is there is some epic big blurring going on <laughs> in the WWE network feed to get rid of those phone numbers. Yeah, because we get the American number and the Canadian number and they're all over the screen. It's not a lower third like WCW would do. <laughs> so you just get a screenshot of blurriness. They might as well have cut this off the network version. Yeah. Why Why blur the whole screen? Just cut it. Yeah. Uh, a strange one. So you don't really get too much. It's not like it's one of those ones where, you know, like it's 
Rick Steiner and at WCWHotline.com or, you know, uh, the the fabulous Rajos at uh, AOL Online. It's such a nothing piece. So yeah. we'll move on from that pretty quickly. We get to another update from Vince on Brian Pillman. And I got to say, the man looks absolutely distraught. Mm. He's really struggling to get words out. He's struggling and he says that, you know, we're going to provide more updates when we get reports from the police. You know, he passed away. There's no foul play. And then he says, we've had to come up with a replacement because Brian Pillman was scheduled to perform on the show. And here it is. And it's a minis match. <laughs> I just thought that was such a, you, that almost feels like a comedy sketch. You know, our, our wrestler has passed away, but, uh, Here's the replacement. And then clown music starts and then yeah. he's come out. It was just such a, a hard left. So, and and you're right. The the segues between these real life, really serious updates into back into, you know, the world of the WWF <laughs> is so jarring. But uh, it's Mosaic and Tarantula. Uh, the way I've, I've put next to Tarantula brackets green versus <laughs> Max Mini and Nova. And I've just got to say, off the top, I have absolutely no interest in this match whatsoever. And the fans, oh, well, they seem to be a little less apathetic towards this one compared to the one at Canadian Stampede. So I guess, you know, doubling the minis has <laughs> piqued a little bit of interest. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we could just skip past this because not only was this a fill-in because a wrestler has died, but it's a minis match and they don't last in the WWE and none of this matters. And this match... They do some impressive acrobatics, but this kind of lucha match, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how many arm drags and hurricane runners they're doing. <laughs> None of this made sense. They do moves and then they stand and look at each other and then they start the next sequence. It's mm. just, nah, not for me. Yeah, it's almost like a quick time event in a video game. It's just like push <laughs> A, B, C, X down and then, yeah. oh, cool, big tick. Then it moves on to the next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, now this this um, Max Mini and Nova get the win, and then they cross to the international announcer teams uh, after the match. And Vince even sounds like he's just disinterested in the entire process. <laughs> Vince was really disinterested in this match. That was the only thing that kept me uh, interested. When they would hit a move that didn't really connect, or like a botch or something that made no sense, Vince would just be like, "Oh, what was that? Oh, oh yeah, that didn't work." Like, it's just yeah. It's like live 360 feedback as from the, from the CEO yeah. of the company. This was not his idea. You know, this wasn't his call and he hated it. Mm. Someone basically, maybe Bruce Pritchard or someone, uh, I'd love to hear like, you know, something to wrestle with where they deep dive into what was going on with the minis. Yeah. I'm sure Bruce will find a way to justify it, but I could just see like, oh man, it just, it sounded like Vince had no interest in trying to get this over, but he's just like, well, you're right. I don't have anything else to put on right now. That's the thing. Normally Vince McMahon, we've said the great thing about him is because it's his company, he'll try hard to get anything over. We've seen some of the worst stuff and he'll try the Godwins, the smoking mm. guns, whoever. With this, he was like, no, nah, not even nope. having any of it. <laughs> we get to our next uh, little segment, which is an ad for the Stone Cold Austin 316 t-shirt. And I thought it was hilarious because it describes it in <laughs> such know. detail. It's like it has an Austin 316 on the front and a skull on the back. And imprinted on the skull <laughs> is the words Stone Cold. Yeah, it was awesome. I think this was, um, they must have had like a leftover ad. This was Todd Pettingill doing the voiceover. 
He's so good. It was a great ad, but so of its time. Here's an ad for one T-shirt and here's yeah. exactly what's on the T-shirt. And I love it. It was like, you can't walk in his boots. You can't, you know, like kick ass like he does, but you can wear this shirt. Oh, yeah, it was so good. It's just like he went from, I think he was just a couple of beats away from listing thread count and, uh, and the sort of neck that it was. That's how detailed the description of the shirt was. But it is hilarious watching it in 2021. Uh, and I'm sure in 96, everyone was scrambling to their phones or like writing down the mail order address. <laughs> um, now I've written down here, Sunny is out as a palate cleanser. Uh, she's out to announce the Godwins versus the Headbangers, which goes back to your theory, Simon, that the more Sonny is involved in announcing before a match, the worse the match is going to be. Yep. I wrote, Sonny is out, bad match coming. I didn't know which <laughs> one it was. And then the Godwin's music hit. I was like, God damn it. I've, I've written down here, uh, Sonny acts towards the Godwin's the same way I would. And this <laughs> is a cluster of a match and it shows. Oh, so it's the Godwin versus the Headbangers. Now the Headbangers, uh, the WWF Tag Team Champions. They won it at Ground Zero. So it's a very, very uh, little... It's a, no, it's a second title defense here. All I'm going to say is, yeah, this is a cluster. And we were talking about 1996 when we go back and listen or watch any of the pay-per-views from back then. It's only now when you see the tag division that you realize just how much heavy lifting Bulldog and Owen were doing. <laughs> yeah. When you take them out of all these matches, there is nothing to most of them. We saw the Headbangers and Los Bariquas have the most shockingly good match last mm. month. And, you know, LOD aren't really in the title mix anymore, but they're having good matches kind of wherever they are. Who keeps going back to the Godwins? We've got to stop oh. this because... <laughs> Look, the Headbangers got a miracle great match with Los Bariquas at one night only. The crowd was mm. hot. The Headbangers might as well have been Hulk Hogan on that show for some yeah. reason. <laughs> the, the people in St. Louis for Bad Blood don't care about the head, Headbangers as much. They don't care about the Godwins as much. And this match was unfortunately a flashback to 96. It wasn't that good. Yeah, and we're not talking Shawn Michaels Vader in terms of uh, mismatches styles and good matches in terms of a flashback. This is awful. Mm. Um, the Godwins absolutely like. Do you have a feeling when you watch these new school Godwins matches that these guys are just? Um, I wish I forgot to point out too. Teal Hopper comes out with them. Yeah, I was going to say. So yeah, so this is when the Godwins had Uncle Cletus, and I had to look <laughs> up who he was. So yeah, Dirty White Boy, aka. T.L. Hopper, just one of those early mid-90s guys, just mm. nothing works out for him really in terms of big time, but he's just around. Wouldn't be surprised if like, yeah, he was probably like, you know, if you see the goon or someone come out repackaged with the headbangers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it sort of seems like um, their leftover contracts from 1995 <laughs> that were signed to long-term yeah. deals. And it's yeah. like, well, we need to find something for you. You can be Uncle Cletus. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, the, the Godwins um, win the tag team titles here and lay the headbangers out, uh, and they're just completely lame to waste after the match. And a, a weird little thing is that, which I've never seen happen, is Howard Finkel says, if they don't leave the ring, they'll be stripped of the titles. Oh, wow. And it's, it, did you pick up on that bit at the end after they were doing the beatdown? You know what? Actually, mm, I don't want to give a spoiler. They kind of actually follow through with that finish in a couple of months where go. where title matches according to wwe rules i suppose now that i think about it if you win the title 
you can still be disqualified for being um, ungentlemanly, ungentlemanly or not being geez. a good sports person and breaking the rules. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. Yeah. I, so I I've think written- the WWE planted a seed here because they were like, we might do that finish for real. Well, I can tell you right now, the crowd strongly dislike the Godwins, whether it's to do with the, whether to do with their uh, lack of following rules or otherwise. I'm pretty sure that had nothing to do with it. All I can say is, indignant JR is fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, Even to yeah. this day, it's awesome. He's so angry at the Godwins. It's great. <laughs> um, the only thing that shocked me is the Godwins winning the tag titles. I don't remember them winning them. Even when Jay, when some, one of them was like, oh, the Godwins are former tag team champs. Were they? We must have watched it in 96, but I don't mm. remember it. Uh, and yeah, I don't know who beats them. I can't remember, but I don't think they have a long reign here. It's kind of like when we when we were talking about how when we saw the Headbangers win at Ground Zero, it's like, oh, that's when they won the titles. Yeah. Because Throughout 98 Raw, and I don't think they get another run with the titles, but throughout 98 and 99 um, Roy's War, they're constantly referred to as like, the Headbangers are former tag team champions. Like, just like, okay, I don't remember that, but I'll take your word for it. (laughs) I'll take your word for it, JR. (laughs) Okay, I got to say at this point, we're almost like, you know, the end of 97, the second year of doing this show. Even though nobody talks about the Attitude Era tag team division of WCW, WCW has the WWE beat in terms of tag team wrestling from 96 to 97. It's not even close. WWE comes back maybe a year later uh, when things pick up again with the new age outlaws, but my God, 96 to 97, not much going on. There is absolutely no contest. I mean, you talk about like, even if you just put the Steiners and Harlem heat, those two individual teams against the entire yeah. Attitude Era tag team roster, you are, you're done. So far at this point in WCW, we've got the Steiners, Harlem Heat, the Outsiders. That's all you need. But then you've also got Luger and the, the Horseman. Giant, the Horseman, any combination, Faces of Fear. All of those mm. matches have been great. Whereas in WWE, the good Ugh. match is very rare in the tag division. Which is why when we do get a good tag match, we're often very, like, we, we praise it rather heavily because our, the ceiling is so low. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get to another Stone Cold Steve Austin video package of him stunning people left, right, and center. It also includes the famous stun on Vince McMahon. And all I got to say is the Roy's War 1997 set in all of its glory is magnificent. It's oh. just such a throwback, isn't it? To me, everything about Raw from, yeah, 97 to like 99, that classic set, the logos, the graphics, the cool jackets, the announcers would wear. To me, that looks like wrestling. It looked cheesy before that in the new generation era. You know, prior to that, it looked cool in the classic 80s era. But 97 to 99, it's like, stop there. You've mastered it. This is what wrestling should always look like. Which is why that... Which is why that raw set was pretty much the same for it until like 2002 yeah. when uh, they rebranded. Even the um, music, we all know yeah. that you know Roy's War oh. and Warzone music. It's great. Yeah, which which was the the intro. It was the intro soundtrack to every WWF video game. That's how good that yep. music was. Yep. Um, we get to uh, a rather sloppy promo by Owen Hart with Michael Cole. Now he's really off his game a little bit, which is understandable i guess when you put into context you know the great the the day that's just unfolded in the world wrestling federation with 
Brian Pillman passing mm. away. He's obviously a member of the Heart Foundation and even close family friends with the Hearts. I mean, they trained together. Uh, he was a graduate of the Dungeon, but Owen is really off his game here a little bit. And um, it's understandable, though. Yeah, it's sort of been hard for everyone to put on the show, but especially the Heart Foundation. Owen does, you know, his heel promo saying that, you know, Austin better give him the title because, you know, Austin has to give up the IC title because he's injured or Owen is going to sue him. He gets Mm. through it in the end. The one thing I noticed here is I think we spoke about it, how Owen Hart kind of feels like he's always taking the piss. There's a little bit of that here too. It's another, (laughs) it's kind of cheesy. And then I had this thought, let me know what you think. To me, Owen Hart as a heel feels like he's doing an impression of Bret Hart. And that's mm. why it kind of has that wink. It's like he's taking the piss out of this idea of like, ooh, that's I'm what a bad guy's meant to and be. Yeah, yeah. And I yell yeah. like Brett does when he's a bad guy. But with Owen, like with Brett, everything is sincere, even when it yeah. shouldn't be. Whereas with Owen, he's taking the piss out of that. It, yeah. When you put that into that context, it does make a lot of sense because the reason why Brett is so ridiculous is because like, come on, mate, lighten up a little bit. It's <laughs> yeah. wrestling. Whereas the reason Owen you can't take serious is because he's just like, come on. Yeah, we feel, we get it, man. It's a joke. We know, but yeah, yeah. come on. <laughs> he's really good at it, but he kind of doesn't care either. That's what's yeah. great yeah, about it's, it. It's the, and I guess too, also the fact that since he ever de- first debuted in the WWF, he's portrayed as Brett's little brother. Yeah, He's always in the shadow there. Um, we get back into the ring, and I love the little PlayStation blimp. That because uh, <laughs> this this is a, a staple thing that we've seen in the WWF uh, for the past couple of uh, pay views and whatnot. But um, Jr. He's in the middle of the ring, and he's sucking up to the the crowd and the and the and the city of St. Louis, and they're there to celebrate the legends of the NWA, which is very odd yeah it was meant to be like you know we're celebrating the great wrestling history of st louis and jr i don't know if he really believes this but he basically said st louis is the best wrestling city ever and Mm. if you make it here you've made it to the peak like i I know it is a great wrestling city with the history as they outline here but i don't know does he really think that i don't know yeah Yeah. but anyway it's this was really weird for a WWE show, especially on pay-per-view to pay tribute to guys who whose legacies are all out of the WWE. Mm. And all of them get their proper accolades written down on a nice little video piece. Mm. Like I've got, uh, so it's Gene Kaniski, um, who's a former NWA champ, Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk Jr., Harley Race, Terry Funk. So they get introduced and they get a little video package, uh, and I'm sorry, a little montage afterwards that's narrated by kevin kelly it sounds like or is it michael cole i think it was kevin kelly kevin kelly yeah so the best part is when it gets to to terry funk's little video package the music gets a bit more amped (laughs) yeah (laughs) also this was taken off an old video that must have had a fault in it during the terry funk video there was like tracking lines and the video started to cut out yeah yeah, so clearly, maybe this is one of the first tape libraries that uh, the end that um, WWF acquired at the time. Mm. But it was literally a tape library, like it was just like you know a Battle Bowl uh, <laughs> '88 sort of tape. But um, when you go through those names, though, like he, he, Jr., even though he might not, he's really like using a lot of hyperbole here. 
the names are pretty big. I mean, like um, Terry Funk, Luthez is even there. Mm. Uh, Sam uh, Mushnick. Mush- Mushnick, yeah. And the best part about this for me, like, because you're right, it's a weird thing to have on a WWF pay-per-view. But my favorite thing is the little nameplate, the factoid for Luthez is youngest and oldest NWA champ. Which was impressive when they said that. I didn't know that. He won his first <laughs> world title, I think, at 22. And then his last Correct. one at 50. Yeah, kind of cool. That's it's really kinda... that's a really long career as well. It is, and it's such a funny little thing to put up on the screen too. But yeah, it's, you know uh, who could uh, break, who could come close to breaking that record? Like the that? parameters might be slightly off. Randy Orton, if he won his first world yeah. title at twenty four, he's forty now, and he looks in better shape than most people. He could mm. win the world title in ten years, surely. Oh, he certainly could. Yeah, yeah, you know, in fact, next year I think it is the twenty-year anniversary of his of his um debut. That is wild, which is weird because it and a lot of people crap on Randy Orton, but you got to say the man's had a hell of a career, mm, consistently um, good. Yeah, um, we then get which speaking consistently good, we go into the opposite end of the pool <laughs> with uh, Farouk with a promo before the Intercontinental Title fight. Now, Farouk smack talks Austin for a little bit here, and. He, Talk, we talk about Owen Hart sort of with a little wink to the camera here. This entire time, I know that Farouk is deadly taking this thing seriously, but I, as a fan, can't take him seriously because I know what he amounts to, and that is basically being the stepping stone for The Rock. i got to say, you know what? The more we watch this, the nation is really better off without Farouk. Mm. That last version of the nation without Farouk, it's a lot better. Um, even think, with Owen Hart in there too even with Owen replace Farouk with The Rock as the leader and it's all better off for it to me really you look back on it Farouk doesn't really click until he joins uh, Bradshaw and they form the Acolytes, acolytes. even the yeah. Acolytes takes a while to get going when they start leaning closer to being real people it's mm. when it really takes off for Ron Simmons in the WWE this isn't great no Definitely not. Definitely not. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's a strange one too. But uh, when, like, think about it. Okay. Here's another weird one too about Farouk. So he's in the finals of the Intercontinental Championship, um, which they put the belt up in a tournament because obviously Austin can't defend it because he's injured. He's been in a WWF title match against The Undertaker. For, like, this, if this doesn't show how bare the cupboard was at the start of 1997. For the do- and let's also not forget too. I think in, in the '97 Royal Rumble, he still got the gladiator helmet on. Yeah, he did. He was still in like the blue <laughs> outfit. Took a while for Farouk to get going, and you know he has some moments. WrestleMania, the fight with the Nation against the LOD and Ahmed felt big. That also felt like the end of the Nation. Why didn't mm. they just break up there? Then yeah, he's kind of treading water for a while. Yeah, until The Rock kicks him out of the nation, uh, which is really his biggest contribution to, to the WWF in 1997. So a bit of a shame there for Farouk. But uh, we then get another Brian Pillman update. And Vince talks about, this is so awkward to watch because he talks about the drug overdose and everything like this. Mm. And the best way I could put this is King and if, if there was an option before they went, did the camera shot and Vince turned to... Jerry Lawler and to Jim Ross and said, Hey, do you guys want to be on camera for, for this little part? I guarantee you 
before that sentence is even out of his mouth, they've both gone because they do not want to be there. Yeah, they don't really look at the camera. They don't look at Vince. It's very, very awkward and like, oh, please get through this. But Vince McMahon, it almost felt like he's kind of not trying to pass the buck, but he's like, oh, you know, it may have been a suspected drug overdose, which is a problem in all sports. You know, you you throw that in and all (laughs) entertainment. Don't just blame us. Yeah. So look, these are, I think he's the last of the Brian Pillman updates uh, they give through here. I think maybe it gets a bit more sinister after that. And someone like maybe whispers in Vince's headset is like, "Mm, I think we're done with the updates. (laughs) Yeah. You've said it's a drug overdose. Let's not talk about this anymore. Although the the next night on Raw, for people who don't know, Vince McMahon takes it a step further and interviews via satellite Pillman's oh, wife, wife, Melanie, a day after her husband is, has died. And then he even says to her, oh, you've got two kids at home. What are you going to do now, Melanie? It's yeah. so, and she breaks down. It's horrible. Yeah, it is. It, it, it you know, a lot of the WWE get props for Rory's own and they should for that one because that was a very classy tribute show. Yeah, but the aftermath after Brian Pillman's passing is just something that I think a lot of people in the WWF would and WWE now would love to just erase from the record books. Um, we get to Farouk versus Owen Hart now. Owen has his new music as well too. Like this is the this is his final theme, uh, and Owen also looks like he'd rather be anywhere else on the planet, which is understandable. We brought this up before. And even the commentators bring it up too. Like, you know, he could be distracted. He could be, um, you know, just the Pillman's death could have shocked him a little bit. And yeah, it's it's a weird one, but things change. Things sort of, the ship gets sort of reset a little bit once Austin's music kicks, because I tell you what, he is just nuclear in terms of over here. Yeah, Austin comes out to, uh, you know, give the title to the winner because this is the finals of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Austin gets a massive pop. He also looks like full Steve Austin. He's Mm. got the denim shorts, the vest, the stone cold hat, and the gold chains. Like this is full stone cold. And he he honestly saves this match because Farouk and Owen Hart on this night, it's not great. It's a lot of power slams and a lot of filling time. But Austin goes right to the announce table and then he sits down at the um, ring keeper's seat. He grabs a wrench. I didn't realize they don't use a a hammer to ring the bell. They use a wrench. And Hmm. Austin just grabs and like smacks the bell and like- Rings the bell. Start the match. And just, yeah, it's he is hilarious, this whole match. What is so cool is, like you mentioned, he goes through each commentator. Uh, so he goes to the Spanish announce team, the French announce team, and because they're still doing their broadcast, and it even cuts in a little bit to that audio too. So it's him berating the French guys. <laughs> and the my favorite is when he gets to the Spanish announce table and he starts trash-talking Tito Santana going, I may not know a lot of Spanish, but I do know that you're talking crap about me. <laughs> It was amazing. Amazing. We kind of forget like Steve Austin. Part of the appeal is that he's also really funny. And we Mm. got to see part of it here because he jumps on the English commentary and sort of does like old timey wrestling announcing. He's like, (laughs) oh, we got a great match here with these two competitors. And then, yeah, he berates Tito Santana. And then with the French commentary team, uh, Raymond Rougeau is there and he's like, Mm. you tell the people I'm going to be in Montreal for the Survivor Series. Like you tell them in in French or whatever they speak over there, tell them that I'm coming. And yeah, the whole thing's great. 
It's so good. And if you ever, and Austin is the only guy that could do comedy and still be like a life-threatening sort of figure. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it always takes me back to later on, um, like in the tail end of his career during the invasion, where he's doing a face-to-face with Hugh Morris. And he's like, so your name's Hugh Morris? Am I supposed to find that humorous? <laughs> just- that's that's the thing. He's going to snap and kill you, but he's also <laughs> making a joke. And that is the, the stone cold uh, appeal. So good. Uh, I want to say here, um, Owen has the measure on Farouk here at the moment. We often talk about Ric Flair wrestling a broomstick. I think this is the nearest that we're ever going to see to that because Owen has his work cut out for him. Um, then all of a sudden, Jim Neidhart pops out. I don't want to say he does a run-in because it's, there's very little running going on. And all I could think of was this is like, oh, a new foundation reunion. That's good to see. <laughs> but um, Austin then takes out Farouk. Owen wins. Bada-bing, bada-boom. We're all done there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of a smart ending, but it also felt like, yeah, kind of you mentioned before, like a, a quick time event. This felt like in the WWE games where you're like, you got to get the guy onto yellow and then mm. the cutscene will play. And eventually Anvil came out and it just triggered the ending of the match. Yeah. Anvil's <laughs> here. Austin hits Farouk with the title. Owen wins. It's over. It was a smart ending though, because Austin wanted Owen to win the belt so he could beat him for it again. <laughs> you know? yep. I thought um, Owen had a pretty good move, you know, at the end where he kind of like, berates to the camera like he smacks all the camera like you know i won all by myself like he's got that like you sort of said that delusional heel mm. that uh with the little wink to the camera sort of thing that he unintentionally does but always does if that <laughs> makes sense um we get a little raw recap ahead of um uh what is going to be later on a flag match it's the heart foundation beating up vader and bulldog it's pretty cool to sort of see just the heart foundation running right on monday night raw uh, like the NWO would. It, it's a pretty cool visual. Yeah, it's interesting to think what would have happened, you know, had Brett not gone to WCW and everything else, to have the Hart Foundation continue their run as sort of the top heel faction, maybe feud with Steve Austin as world mm. champion, but then what happens with the corporation? What happens with Vince McMahon? None of that happens. How do they compete with DX, two heel factions at the top? never worked for WCW with the Horsemen and the NWO. So the Hart Foundation could only have this time at the top. You know, Mm. their days were numbered. And it's such a weird little butterfly effect too, because if you think about it, so The Rock only becomes popular because he joins the corporation as well. Like, remember, he turns his back on the nation and then turns his back on the people and becomes becomes the corporate corporate champion. champion. Yeah, Yeah. so there's so many different... Uh, Even Mick that... Foley, you know, when he becomes sort of the corporate mankind, that's yeah. why he wears a business shirt. Yeah. And that became the trademark. Like so much, mm. so much is dependent on Brett getting screwed, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. Even Farouk, like the ministry is false. That's true. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot. The ministry is an offshoot to compete with Vince and it's all connected. Sorry, Brett. We, Sorry, we, Brett. We couldn't do this with you. You can sort of see now with the, with the benefit of hindsight, like if you've ever watched Wrestling with Shadows, it's always like, I don't know how Vince could do this to a man that's so loyal to him. <laughs> Only out of 20 years. And it's just like, when you look at the, the runoff effect, it's like, no, yeah, okay, I think you made the right decision. It Vince. was worth it in the end. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, something that definitely is not worth it at all is Los Barricos versus DOA. It is the feud that doesn't seem to bloody end. 
Um, yeah. Los Pericos, they aren't dressed in matching ring attire for once. Um, this match was thrown together too. Maybe they couldn't coordinate because Vince McMahon did say again, oh, you know, because of Brian Pillman passing away, we, we've added another match. I will say, and I can't believe I'm saying this. So this is basically all of Los Pericos and all of DOA. It's an eight-man tag. This was the best match these guys have had. There was no, <laughs> like, they were just, the, the announcers even said, this is nothing but clotheslines. And that's mm. all this was. They at least kept it fast paced. It was not good, but there was at least action for pretty much all of it. Did you happen to pick up? Um, they were talking. So JR was talking a little bit like in the commentary, and I should have written this down. So they're talking how this ain't going to be, you, you know, your Matt Wrestling classic. There ain't going to be no catch it can sort of thing. And Jerry Lawler called, refers to this match as no, you're not going to get any of that. You're going to get WWF attitude. Did he say that? That's really yeah. cool. I missed that. Okay, wow. I only heard him kept saying, oh, it's just clotheslines and kicks. But I didn't yeah. hear him say attitude. Wow, that's now, cool. Now, here's the thing too. I tried to rewind it and find the bit where he said it because I'll admit I completely tuned out during this match <laughs> to the point where I actually went and looked up on Wikipedia what was Crush's tenure in the WWF? Because I was like, surely he's got to be gone soon because Brian Adams rocks up in the NWO pretty quickly. So, and I, and I did the research. So Crush debuted in the WWF in 1990 as part of Demolition, left in 1991, came back in 1992, and then had a solid run until 1997, except in 1995 where he was arrested. Yep, and that's where the whole jail thing came from. Why he turned <laughs> evil, he was arrested. What? A, they're just one of those guys. No one would ever give up on him. And it's mm. kind of annoying because we're watching both shows. When he leaves the WWE, we'll be like, oh, thank God, no more thank DOA God, and crush. And it's like, oh, no, now he's here. <laughs> and it's a long time before Chronic as well. So, <laughs> uh, now, as I said, um, the crowd, though, Seem to absolutely love it when Crush got the pin. Do you think it's because, oh, good, it's over? <laughs> there might have been a bit of relief. But but again, this might have been their best match, which again, faint praise, but yeah, it, it ends at least. I've got to say, mm. it was really weird. Crush ends it with a, a sort of a tilt-a-world backbreaker. Not really a finishing yeah. move. Someone must have told them, all right, you fill time, wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. I doubt that him, him and Savio Vega and the rest of their corresponding teams are in the back planning this match meticulously <laughs> like Savage Steamboat at WrestleMania 3. Yeah, it was just hit me <laughs> with a move and we'll wrap it up. All right, I'll tell you what, we'll throw in a few clotheslines and uh, we'll we'll work at it from there. Um, we then get to Michael Cole with Brett and Bulldog backstage. I've written down here, Brett has his WCW shades on. Yeah, he didn't add the. I thought the circle shades were only WCW, but yeah. So did I. Okay, he must have brought him out in the last couple of months of WWE. Not the classic Hitman shades that he would give to a kid. These are like just real blacked out, circular, kind of John Lennon type sunnies. The best way we can describe it is if you've seen Brett and WCW, you've got WCW Brett. Yeah. Which isn't the best, Brett. I got to say, no. this isn't the best promo. And poor Bulldog, <laughs> we said it last month. Bulldog has to end the promo alone, and oh, he's oh, finishing. Can I? Can I? Can I say? Oh, yeah, can I say? It, yeah. <laughs> the finishing line is: "We're going to do it right here in St. Louis, right here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to be victorious right here in St. Louis, right here." And then he left. So and then awkward. the awkward sort of like, "Oh, 
And then he just gets out. He of shuffles camera. out of frame. He leaves. He was like, oh, no, I better leave. <laughs> now, um, Vince, then we get to the flag match too. So Vince and the commentary team explain the rules. Now, pinfalls are acceptable in this flag match. And JR says, maybe it's because Vader can't climb to get the flag. I know. Normally, JR is really putting over Vader to a stupid degree. He had, like that line does Vader no favors. Mm. <laughs> also, why was this a flag match? I was really annoyed at this match. So it's a tag team match. Normally in a flag match, you capture the flag, you get the other team's flag and you win. For some reason, they were like, these rules were agreed upon. You can win by pinfall or submission. Why? Not only that, the flags aren't even involved once. Yeah, the match doesn't even end with the flags. It's it like end with the flags. They don't even take it and use it as a weapon or anything like that. Nothing. They don't. It's just they. It's literally two ornaments. That's yeah. all it is. It's also I got to say this might be the worst Bret Hart match we've watched this whole show. This was I have not good at all. I have written down here the two top two notes I've written down is Bret is in his WCW gear uh, because like so we mentioned uh, well I mentioned uh, at one night only. Brett's attire there, his famous Survivor Series 1997 one. That's the that's the pinnacle of w, uh, WWE. Bret Hart, when I always picture it in my mind, that's the classic Brett look. This, the pink tights, the the little John Lennon glasses, this is Brett's WCW look. And unfortunately, he brings his WCW form a little bit prematurely into the WWF because this is the emphasis of a going through the motions match. Yeah, and, and again, obviously the circumstances with Pillman that's got to be part of it. But hmm. this match goes for half an hour and it's just four guys with no chemistry. Patriot. The Patriot is awful as a wrestler too. He's Look, Brett got something out of him at um, uh, Ground Zero. Ground Zero, yeah. This though is not that. This was not good. Vader is kind of just there. Bulldog is just there. Patriot's not good. Brett isn't on his game. At one point, so this is a tag team match. Tag team matches are all about the hot tags and the excitement. At one point, the two teams just tag the other partner at the same time. They literally just walk to their corner and tag each partner. <laughs> it's the opposite of a hot tag. There is literally zero reaction for two guys yeah. tagging. It is not good. The only little exciting bit to note is British Bullock beats up a fan that tries to run down um, that tries to run down and get involved in the match. And I always love watching a referee like jerk their neck back and just clear clear out a, a rabid fan from the ring, which is always pretty cool. Um, Brett gets the victory via a roll-up after a Vader bomb. And as I said, no flags involved in the end. And Brett doesn't even leave with the title. Did you notice that? Yeah, Brett Hart is the world champion at this point too. We should point out because it's not a world title match or feud. He doesn't leave with the belt. He does leave with an American flag. And again, you know the American flag. You're not allowed to drop it on the floor. That's disrespectful. He grabs the flag and just chucks it. Yeah. And again, I know I've said it before. I obviously love Brett as a wrestler, but God, he's a hypocrite sometimes. Yeah. For all of the crap he said about, oh, I didn't like what Sean did with the Canadian flag. It stepped over the line. Look what you've done with the American flag on like three pay-per-views now. Anyway. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, practice. Do as I say, not as I do here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We get an ad for Survivor Series gang rules. And man, I'll tell you, 
we'll, we'll get to we'll get to that towards the end of the thing. But um, then we get we finally see the hell in a cell being lowered, and the cell is being completely sold as you know a hell of a fight, and as it should be too, because it's a it's a world first. Yep, first time we're seeing hell in a cell or hell in the cell as they yes. rotate through. Nobody knew what to call it yet until it was settled upon as this is the WWE trademark match and it's the mm. name of a pay-per-view. People would say the cell or a cell. Or even 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 cage, like, you know, they'd often sort of mention stuff like that. Before. And anytime someone referred to it as a cage, it was then corrected with, this ain't like your ordinary cage match. It's in a cage, it's a cell. It's hell in the cell or a cell or your cell. But yeah. There's a cool little promo with Doc Hendricks and HBK because HBK has taken the absolute piss about, thank <laughs> heavens this isn't for my coveted <laughs> European championship. He is in full-on smart-ass mood here. Yeah, this is pretty much like, you know, classic 97 DX Shawn Michaels, great promo. And again, now he's using it as a catchphrase. He's the main event, the headliner, the showstopper. You know, he says, nobody can do this gig except for the heartbreak kid. It's a really cool promo. And it's funny, he's with all of DX and Sean does the last line. He's like, all right, gentlemen, lady, let's go. And then Triple H tries getting the mic to say something <laughs> and they just cut it off. Why was Triple H trying to cut a promo after Sean? It was real weird and they just cut oh, away from him. So odd, so odd there. But we get to a recap of um, Undertaker and Sean's feud. This is just absolute, when, when pro wrestling is good, it is just truly a work of art. And this is perfect storytelling. Yeah, we see Shawn Michaels, the transformation from being the hero of the people and he does everything for the crowd to him sort of changing. And, you know, and we see a sit-down interview with Shawn Michaels. I don't know when that's from, but he mm. kind of says like, you know, I, I love agitating people. That's part of the fun. And he says something, he's like, when given the choice, he's like, I'm usually going to make the wrong choice. And we yeah. see that cut with him, you know, smashing The Undertaker with some of the hardest chair shots you'll ever see. Oh, man. Like, these, like when they talk about unprotected chair shots to the head, these are just shots to the head in with authority. And, yeah, it's, it's actually quite, quite jarring to watch. <laughs> mm, would have been jarring for their necks, too. Yeah, um, this is true. i got to say, one thing I never noticed with the setup of this match they kept talking about how reinforced the cage is and how nobody can get in or out because it's been reinforced. There's a chain on the door. The door is locked. They even had Slaughter come out and inspect under the ring and mm -hmm. check around the ring. Nobody can be hiding. There's no shenanigans. I didn't realize it was kind of like a red herring or like a, yeah. a clue to what will happen. I didn't realize they were planting the seeds, obviously, as a kid. Yeah, but watching it now, it's like, ah, oh, it's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, because all you're thinking is just like, oh, well, you know, if HBK always has Triple H and China and Rick Rude get involved, well, this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that is that's what makes this this match so perfect in my eyes because every aspect of it, even the ending, makes perfect sense. So um, we get finally to the entrances. Triple H called Triple H, not Hunter Hearst Helmsley by the announcers uh, this time around. Yep, he's almost there. He's still wearing polo shirts and he still looks a bit little bit too Greenwich, Connecticut, but he's coming out of it, I think. Yeah, he's a little bit more that um that swagger that we knew that we know. Like, you know, it's it's the I'm best mates but Shawn Michaels sort of swagger. <laughs> yeah, I'm not has. curtsying anymore, kind of thing. <laughs> now I'm gonna point at our dicks. Yeah, there's a lot of that. 
There is certainly a lot of that there. It's the it's the height of 1997. Uh, what's the, um, remonstrating i'll refer to it as as um thunder and lightning as the cell lowers uh at, sorry as the as the undertaker makes his entrance and the thing is too once once uh hbk gets locked in the cell like he's got all the pomp and circumstance the bravado you know he's just like oh i got this this is uh, be so easy but once that cell goes down he realizes he's locked in he sells it like murder. Yeah. So when the Undertaker does his big pyro blast to turn on the lights, and then when the cage is really closed, Shawn Michaels just changes tune and has all the regret, and he tries escaping the cage. It's just mm. perfect. I think it goes back to kind of what we said: why the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker matches work. Shawn Michaels sells everything. He is terrified of the Undertaker. He knows if he kind of cheats, he can get the upper hand but he sells everything like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And it makes mm. it fun. This match as a standalone thing, like you said, is pretty much perfect. Everything makes sense. It's like a movie, this yeah. last hour of the show. It's awesome. Now I've watched this match countless times. I can't think of it. The best way I can sort of describe it is like, you know, if you've got your favorite movie that you're like, you know, I've seen Independence Day countless times because I think it's a cool movie. You might have a TV series that you often go back. There are people that have watched Friends over and over and over again. This is one of those matches where each time you watch it, I reckon it gets better and you notice more things. There are some cool spots like Taker does. It is so every it's poetry in motion. Like everything has a cause and effect in this match from the when Undertaker goes for a powerbomb, then gets reversed by HBK and he starts punching him in the head, which then Taker then uses the cell, like, figures out where he is and starts ramming Sean into the corner of the cell. Everything makes sense. It's And there's so many iconic lines in this pay-per-view as well. My favorite one still has to be uh, Vince going, it's a hell in a, it's hell in the cell. And I would suspect for it's hell for Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that was great. I remembered that when he said it. I was like, ah, of course, that's where that line is from. JR does the, oh, there's probably someone at home saying these guys know how to fall. You know, he mm. busts that one out here as well. And like you said, everything's poetry in motion. We know all these spots because they would be used in Hell in a Cell matches for years to come. But these guys invented them in this mm. match. Shawn Michaels does a suicide dive into the undertaker into the cell you know they do the thing where like he's darted into the cage multiple times or rebounded and then a clothesline they, they do so many cool if you like cool moves they do them in this even Shawn michaels hitting a pile driver onto the steel steps, steps. on the undertaker is brutal like i also like how this match i remember it and mm -hmm. i can still remember how it kind of has stages it yep. starts off with The Undertaker beating up Sean. Dominating. Then Sean Michaels takes over. Then, and again, I guess we should mention, early in the match, they planted the seed that the cameramen are in the cell as well, and they might get in the way. Vince McMahon even says, oh, some of our cameramen doing the handheld camera, they've got cables, so you know they might get in the way of the action. At one point, Sean pushes the guy, and he's like, get out of the way. And then when he does the pile driver, he kind of tips over the cameraman and he swears and they beep it. And he says, you know, get the F away. You think nothing of it. You think, oh, okay, whatever. The cameraman's there. But it also then, adds to the mayhem of the match as well. Exactly. Like, oh my God, they're in small confines. Everything's chaotic. But then another point, once Sean's kind of taken over, he runs at the Undertaker, 
taken back body drops him out of the ring and Sean lands on the cameraman taking him out. Because now, okay, you said nobody can get in or out of the cell, but now there's an injured cameraman. Sorry, we're going to have to open the cell. It's pretty, pretty genius. And to quote JR2, the man's got a family. <laughs> yes. That's where this is wrong. He's not trained. He's not a competitor. Because Sean, you know, he's Sean, not an athlete. Sean, he's frustrated mm. and he ends up kicking the cameraman. So that's kind of Sean's, um, you know, he's plan. Get, he's, yeah, to get to at least, you know, get the cage door open, which is locked. We've emphasized there's no way in, no way out. And I agree with you 100% there. In addition to that, there's some cool moves where they take advantage off the cell as well. Like you, yeah. we went through the uh, the lawn darting and stuff like that. And even even the old school one where using a power bomb onto the side of the cage as well to just look Treat it like a cheese grater, but my favorite one still has to be under not Undertaker. Sorry, Shawn Michaels climbing the inside of this off the cell and then doing an elbow drop onto Undertaker from the inside. That's very, really very cool. cool. Um, yes, yeah, so we get to the cameraman part, and, and Sergeant Slaughter then marches out. So he's obviously realized it, and the commentary team does a fantastic job. He's like, We're going to see a lawsuit here, this is going to be a lawsuit. Yeah, there's so much cool stuff, and the cage door opens to take the cameraman out, uh, escort him out because he's obviously injured. And HBK escapes the cage, and then we get into our next stage of the match where the brawl spills outside, and HBK becomes a bloody mess. My god, I like I remember him bleeding in the match, but I kind of didn't remember how much he bleeds because we Mm. don't see blood like this as often anymore. They're on the outside of the cell. And not only does Sean bleed, I want to mention that he hits a drop kick to the Undertaker, who then ricochets into the cage, but he does a drop kick where there's no mat. Sean just lands on his back after hitting a drop mm. kick. That looked painful. But anyway, yeah. then yeah, Undertaker launders Sean Michaels into the cage, and it is one of the most epic blade jobs or whatever you want to call it that you'll see. Mm. Sean Michaels is an absolute mess for the rest of this match. It is flowing. This is like, it's like WrestleMania 13, Stone Cold Steve Austin levels of blood. It is, his entire face is just red. That's how bad it is. And then the the match, and like you sort of mentioned a little bit before, Simon, it, it there's so many stages in this match. Then we get to the top of the cell. The minute they get on top of that cell, the crowd goes bonkers. They're going ballistic. Every move, even a backdrop gets a huge pop. Well, you're doing a backdrop on a cage. Like, I know we've seen, you know, things crazier than this since. But even watching this back, it was still really exciting. When they got to the top of the cage, I was Mm. like, that really is crazy that they did this. Like, (laughs) look at how high they are. And you would not expect that they would do it in this match. Nobody thought, all right, they're going to go out of the ring. And then they're going to climb on it. Mm. But then, Sean, so we mentioned how much he's bleeding. When he takes another move on top of the cell, he's face down. And his blood drips onto the camera lens that's shooting it from below. I don't know if they planned it, but it's a hell of a visual. It is Mm. horrific and gets over how brutal the match is. And then at one point, I don't know if you picked it up. Did you hear the cameraman swear? Yes, because of the the blood. He was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And yeah, it's so, so, like, that's another thing we got to add to it. Like, the all the production shots here. I mean, a lot of people crap on Kevin Dunn for some of his camera cuts and stuff like this. This is shot perfectly. 
the cell looks impressive. The visuals are just great. It gives you a good sense of, first off, how trapped they are in the cell in certain things. In external shots, how massive the cell is. And when they're on top of the cell, just how high up. It's just so great. And as they sort of get to the top and brawl around, HBK then goes through a table in another cool spot uh, as the crowd gets even louder and louder as we get towards the crescendo of the match. And it also leads to the another JRism. Michael's maybe broken in half. Yeah, okay. I've got to say, I don't remember JR saying that Sean was broken in half. I didn't realize he recycled the line a year later because yeah. we all say, know that, oh my God, this man's broken in half to <laughs> mankind. Mankind, Turns yeah. Out that was just JR's go-to Hell in a Cell call. But anyway, <laughs> it was very cool. And I know Foley's bump and then Shane McMahon, obviously they take it to another level. But Shawn Michaels falling off the cell, even though it's like, his hands are at the top and he's kind of halfway. It's still huge and it looks very well, painful. This one also fits the context. Like we sort of said, th- this match is poetry in motion because everything has a cause and effect in this match. From the fact, the the scenario to actually, the circumstance to have a Hell in a Cell match hmm. because DX keep getting involved, but we need to lock them out. Like everything is just, there is not, you can't nitpick this match. I found that yeah. you just, can't find a way to nitpick it and even sean like you could argue that you know when shane jumped off the top of the cell he didn't need to do that that's just (laughs) stupidity you can argue that um you can sort of say like oh that was just a stunt mankind going off the top of the cage sean falling off the top of the cell made sense because he's trying to get away from the undertaker the undertaker's got his hair and everything like that he's finally got away from him take a standing tall steps on one hand to which Sean loses his balance. He's only hanging by the other hand. So what does Undertaker do? Step on the other hand. He's got no way to support himself. Down goes Sean. It made sense. It was very cinematic and also very like 1940s, like Charlie (laughs) Chaplin type movie. Like I'll step on this hand, like Bugs Bunny type thing. And oh no, I've got no hands. But it was awesome. And then I forgot again, you don't always see this part in the um, highlights but there is another period of the match where they brawl around ringside and hmm. take a slam Sean in some of the announce tables. And my God, Sean Michaels face, somehow it's even bloodier by this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's a thicker layer of blood on top of his face already. Like, and the place is just going, he's erupting because yeah. this is a match like no one has seen before. And then what is really, really cool. Take a, drags him back into the ring to finish him off. And which I thought, this is why you sort of say, like, it's such a perfect story. Taker brings out a chair. The, all of this, this entire feud started at SummerSlam two months ago, where Sean is a relatively liked, he's, he's on the fence, he's a tweener hmm. at that point in time. But now he's the most hated man in the WWF. And all of this starts with a chair shot in that match against, uh, where he's refereeing against Breton, um, Breton Taker. And the fact that, Undertaker brings out the chair and sort of puts the like closes the brackets on the little story is very cool and gets a huge pop just for getting out the chair because the crowd knew oh you know it's payback time because Sean used the chair earlier in the match too he only hit the Undertaker in the back because I think they wanted to save one chair shot to the head because for all the chair shots Sean gave the Undertaker, Taker just gives Sean Michaels one hell of a chair shot. Again, Sean doesn't put up his hands for this one because I think it was like 
you didn't for mine, I won't for yours. Give me everything you've got. And Jesus. Did you see the chair, the little seat bit buckles? That's how hard he's hit him. It was a, it sounded like a gunshot and the crowd went crazy <laughs> for that chair shot. It was, yeah, you got to see it. It was crazy. So the place is, the place has erupted and all of a sudden the lights go out and we hear some strange music. The organ music kicks in. We famously know it now as Kane's music. The, the place gets bathed red and all of a sudden, boom, pyro. That's, that's gotta be Kane. <laughs> Yeah, Vince McMahon with one of the most iconic calls of all time. It's going to be on every video package, you know, that's ever done on Kane and the Attitude Era and Hell in a Cell. Like, you know, mm. it crosses so many important sort of um, barriers that, yeah, it'll live forever. But what a moment. And the tension when Kane and The Undertaker stare each other down is oh, great. Crazy. Because the crowd's like, oh, my God, look at this guy. Look how big he is. It's, yeah, really, really cool genuine fear on the undertaker's face like he's it's yeah. bewilderment he does it so well if he didn't give it that sell no one would take it seriously but the undertaker's face of it says everything i can't believe you're alive are you really kane what is mm. going on you know am, am i angry at you or do i feel yeah, what, bad what's going like on? He, yeah. he says a lot with his facial expression the the, the only other nearest thing i can think of um in in recent times, there's only one thing to me that sort of st stands on par with this facial reaction, and that is when Seth Rollins hits uh, Roman Reigns in the back with a chair and Dean Ambrose's face when he realizes <laughs> what's happened. Like, that's another great little bit of selling. And when on that episode of SmackDown in 2000, where mankind transforms from mankind into Mick Foley and Triple H sells that so well. Like, yeah. just a good facial expression can do so much for the story. Yeah. And and again, interesting to see from The Undertaker, who, you know, prior to this had no expressions. This was mm. more of the evolution of the character. The fact that he's standing pretty much like face-to-face -face with Kane as well is another really impressive visual. Kane is jacked. Glenn Jacobs really stepped into the gym before. Uh, he, it's like the minute he got told you're not Kevin Nash anymore, <laughs> now trying to be Undertaker, but yeah. red, you could tell he really sort of stepped it up a little bit. Uh, another thing too that was I thought was pretty cool, the tombstone by Kane is different to the tombstone by Undertaker. Like this one's more... Undertaker is more finesse. Have you noticed that? Whereas Kane's is more like just bam, drop. It's them. a quick drop. Yeah, it's a mm. quicker drop. Although <laughs> poor Kane, he gets Undertaker for the tombstone. And I think he didn't know which direction the hard camera, the camera was. was. Yeah. <laughs> because obviously they wanted it to be, you know, like real perfect shot. Do it to the hard camera. And yeah, he, he goes in two other directions before spinning him around. But mm. who cares? He you could almost like if whatever if they've if this is how it's happened, someone must have gone like it. Maybe Sean said it. Maybe maybe you take it in like other side, other side. Yeah, yeah. yeah this good, good, good. Yeah. But yeah, so Tombstone by Kane to finish. HBK covers and oh, the other part too, because it's an ODQ match. It it works perfectly as well. Like there's so many different layers here. HBK covers for the three count and gets the win. And Triple H in China coming in to drag his lifeless carcass out of the ring is so cool. The visual of Triple H raising this bloodied Shawn Michaels hand and then doing the crotch chop for Shawn. Yeah, he's 
chopping Sean's crotch, if that's yeah. how you say that <laughs> sentence. But yeah, I, I got to say the, these two last pay-per-views with Sean Michaels, they've really just gone for the heat of you're going to hate this guy. Just two endings in a row where like, oh, this guy stole it. He did it to Bulldog in England. Look what he's mm. done now to The Undertaker. Just these sort of, yeah, unearned victories. It's great. Mm. Such a cool little thing too. And it wraps up the pay-per-view. And we, we've we said this numerous times, but a good main event can really erase the sins of a bad pay-per-view. And this just, there is not a person that left that arena going, we, we were in, we were treated to a fantastic show. Mm. DO, there was a DOA versus Los Periquas match. I'm sure it was great, but how good was that Hell in a Cell match? Yeah, this kind of is a one-match pay-per-view, to be honest. Like, there were some moments that were okay, but none of it matters. This match is so good, it would have saved anything on the show. And Mm. yeah, even after all these years, this match still lives up to the hype. It's still one of... it's. I, I still can't find a better Hell in a Cell match. It's the best. It's the original... Some have come close to it, but nothing can beat it. In terms of like, you can nitpick and pull threads at other ones. This one is just perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect story. The Kane ending doesn't hurt it. Doesn't no. hurt the fact that it ends in a, a run-in or whatever you want to say, or interference or anything like that. It's part of the story. It ends up being an mm. extra part of the legend of this match. There's so much there. Yeah, five stars, 10 stars, whatever you want to say, this match is perfect. Pretty, pretty epic um, pay-per-view here too. But as we wrap it up, uh, let's go through our MVP. Is there anyone else? I'll, I'll go first because i got to say this. Is there anyone aside from Shawn Michaels that can get this award? <laughs> we could almost say give it to Shawn Michaels in The Undertaker, but I think Shawn Michaels, you know, sort of ekes him out uh, in mm. his performance in the match. Takes two to tango, but Shawn Michaels is again doing God's work. Like (laughs) when he's on in 96 and 97, there's no one close on either major promotion. And he's featured and I know Brett fans will probably absolutely shit can us, but like Sean is the main event in everything. Like he's put in those roles for a reason and we're seeing it again. And anyone else, if it wasn't Sean Michaels and the undertaker for the first ever hell in a cell match, I don't think it would have had the legend that it has. Well, let's look at Shawn Michaels' legacy with these gimmick matches. First ladder match, considered a classic mm-hmm. with Razor Ramon. First ever Iron Man match. That's Shawn Michaels again with Brett, considered a classic. Mm. First Hell in a Cell match. Again, yeah. classic. First Elimination Chamber match. Again, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, if you've got a gimmick match, put him in mm. it. It'll probably work. Not even that first dude to win the Royal Rumble from number one. That's true. Like, he created that gimmick too. Like there's so yeah. many things that Sean does that is, and with good reason as well. So, uh, pretty stellar, uh, pretty epic pay per view there. Go out of like, I'd, I'd actually recommend this pay per view even with all like something like WrestleMania 13, which is a one match card. That's a legit one match show. Yeah. That's whereas this you can salvage enough and just seeing the greater picture of like, you know, like seeing Rock in his early days, mm. seeing um, just the evolution of how um, Stone Cold Steve Austin rises to what he becomes, obviously in 98 and 99. And of course, the Hell in a Cell is just the icing on the cake. Well, it's actually 
quite the meat and potatoes of the meal. It is the cake, really. <laughs> it is the cake. Yeah, but everything else is just like a nice little accompaniment to it. But uh, yeah, a very, very cool thing. The next WW paper that we're going to do, and we talk about a hot streak, is Survivor Series 1997. It is a pay-per-view that our buddy Owen has never watched. So we're going to get him on to um, join us just to see what it's like through the eyes of someone that knows so much about a pretty pretty legendary pay-per-view, but not for the reasons of Hell in a Cell, for example. Um, we've got Halloween Havoc next, WCW. Mm. That is going to be a lot to live up to because i got to say, the WWF just hit three consecutive home runs. Yeah, there's been a lot of good stuff on the WWE side. I don't know what's on Halloween Havoc. I know there's one more DDP and Macho Man match, which I assume is good. They've all been good. I don't know how they're going to compete with Bad Blood. Is Havoc 97 Ray and Eddie, or is that 98? Oh, you're right. Actually, that's on that show too. Yeah. It is 97. So that one could be okay. That one, that's pretty good. You know what? Halloween Havoc could be good now that I think of those two matches. Although there is a lot of me that's wondering, is that 98? Nah, it's, <laughs> I, th- I think you're right. It's 97. It's 97. Okay, 98 cool. feels too far for Rey Mysterio. I feel like by 98, he's got no mask and he's real weird. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's not working yeah. out. And and 98 is main evented by um, DDP and Goldberg. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, and Warrior actually, and Hogan. Can't wait I, till we get to that show. I will be interested to see Halloween Havoc 1998 on the network because I love it if they present it in its original form and just cut out. <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, make sure you you follow Greywolf ENT on the socials and keep your eye out on some good stuff that we've got happening there. If you're an NFL fan, if you're a basketball fan, if you're an NBA fan or wrestling fan, if you love metal music, old school movies, we've got something for you there. But if you're into wrestling, keep it peeled and keep it locked to Greywolf Entertainment because we've got Halloween Havoc 1997. Owen's already been watching WCW Nitros from Fall Brawl to Halloween Havoc. He's also regretting it a little bit, but <laughs> he's getting the full kit and caboodle there. And I tell you what, Simon, we're in for an absolute treat for the next couple of months. Yeah, we are in the business end of the Monday Night Wars. Things are kicking into gear for both shows. The end of 97, obviously a tumultuous time. We're going to see Bret Hart do some big things and everyone else sort of have to navigate the, um, the aftermath of Bret's decision. Mm. We also get to see the final ever WWF pay-per-view featuring Crush. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the yeah. real big jumping ship of this era. <laughs> but yeah, for Simon Tackler, I am Nimzizor. This has been Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.